Uh, it's good to be back. My name is Josh, and um, I have a friend named Jason who runs the, the sound booth, and I walked in the door this morning, and he said, they let you back so soon? And I said, well, I don't know. It was that or John's in Florida, so he gets to either Skype in in a Speedo or it's me, so pick your poison. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's pick me. Okay. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, go to uh, Luke chapter 24. Um, big idea this morning is Jesus and how he interacted with the word of God. So Jesus, how he interacted with the Bible. Uh, and so um, Luke 24 uh, is the place that we're going to teach from looking at that passage. And um, just some, a little FYI on Luke. Luke is a, um, um, is a doctor. Um, and so, so it's a, it's when he writes, so he's a writer, he, he's got two books in the Bible, Luke and Acts. And when he writes, he writes from a, a doctor's understanding, which means he writes from a place of, he knows brokenness. Now, when we say doctor, we think, um, penicillin and shots and hospitals, ambulances, but this is first century medicine. And so if there's a compound fracture, Luke says here, bite on this stick, and then he'll take care of that for you. Or if it's just too gnarly, he'll just say, bring the saw, and he'll be like, okay, we're going to fix that this morning, and then just cauterize it. Um, Here's the deal. The reason that you need to know that Luke is a doctor and writes from a place of brokenness is because he's going to show us people in their hurt. He's going to show us people physically hurt, emotionally hurt, and obviously it's scriptural. So we're going to see spiritually hurting people throughout the storyline of Luke. And so, spoiler alert, he knows the answer that he's not the one that's going to fix anything. And so he's going to show us Christ throughout it. So in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, we have a setting that is Easter Sunday, on a dusty road in the afternoon. Okay, so Easter Sunday, dusty road in the afternoon, and uh, I'll just start reading. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, a man named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And then I love that Jesus plays hard to get with his next question. He says, what are y'all talking about? And he throws his hands up like that and says it. Basically, what Jesus is forcing them to do is articulate the Friday through Sunday uh, things that have just happened. So if this is Easter Sunday afternoon, the question mark for us is what happened on Friday? And I'll give you a hint. If you don't know it, (laughs) crucifixion. Did you know that one? Basically, um, these guys have been moving through the last three days where they watched a murder. They watched a a spear go up into this guy, Jesus. And if they're disciples 
And if they're extremely saddened, we know their state of brokenness out of this experience. And Luke talks about it. He says, they are heavy with sorrow. They're disappointed. They're bewildered. He shows us their great, great need and their cause. And so that's our starting point. So you got to know who Luke is, that he's going to show us the brokenness before he shows us the fix. And so here comes the fix um, from um, Cleopas is about to respond here in verse 19. Cleopas says, Jesus of Nazareth, he was, a pow- he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. So, so what he does, pause real quickly. But what he does there is Cleopas talks about three days, but now he's going to rewind into time. But we had hoped, what? That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Okay, so, so Cleopas took a jump back into scriptures. He took a jump back into the culture. He took a jump back into the Jewish narrative that is looking for a redeemer. Keep reading. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. Remember, it's Easter Sunday in the afternoon. Our gals went this morning but didn't find the body. Our gals went this morning but didn't find the body, but it gets, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. What we get in that, in that six verses right there is we see an absolute picture of who Jesus is. We get all the facts. We get all the Bible knowledge. But there's one thing that's missing from this Bible knowledge, and that is the living movement of Christ to make it come alive. Because it's one thing, as you guys know, to uh, go to Sunday school and learn all these stories. It's one thing to be in that room and sing theologically based songs, but then to walk out into our world full of brokenness and loss of hope and hard stuff and apply what I'm learning in that room or in this teaching to those deep places of hurt. What these guys have are all the facts. And what they're missing is a companion that walks alongside them that makes it come alive. Ironic twist, right, Luke? That's Jesus that they've been telling all these stories, all, these, all this history and all this story to. And so this is where Jesus pops up and talks. <clears throat> oh, actually, real quickly, before you know it's Jesus, why didn't the men recognize that? Why don't you think about it? Um, and so, so I would love for you to turn really quickly and talk to the folks beside you. Uh, this is kind of what I do. Um, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Were they preoccupied with fear? They've just seen an execution. Uh, were they overloaded and just exhausted? Were they full of despair because their leader was gone, the one they hoped? Was Jesus supernaturally unrecognizable? Question mark, good one there. Or did they just refuse to believe it? when they saw it. So talk amongst your your friends there, and then I'll ask you for your answers. You guys got this answer for us? All right, so you can respond digitally 
which means show me from afar. Good, I got a four, fours. Good, going back this way. Okay, lots of fours, fives. Wonderful. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, not fair, Dave. Fives, thank you. A six, does that mean every single one? Okay, all right, you cheater. All the above? I knew it. All right, he, he laid out a sixth for me. Yeah. Guys, this isn't unique to Jesus' resurrection. The idea that he physically moves alongside real people and they don't physically grasp that it's Christ in their midst. Uh, Mary at the tomb that very morning, she looks straight at Jesus, dead at him, and says, hey, gardener. Uh, and then you've got Jesus over the next 40 days who will appear to over 500 of his believers he appears over 40 days, so that's several weeks, to 500 believers, people who know all the facts. And of those 500, some will worship and some will doubt. They won't recognize, okay? So this isn't unique to the storyline. Guys, this is not unique to you and I. And so what Jesus does from that point is he speaks now, not as a, what happened? Tell me about it. He now speaks in response to Cleopas's testimony. Check it out. In Luke 24, 25, and 26, Jesus is going to respond not to the beliefs that they tell him, all the facts. I'm sorry, all the facts. He's going to respond to the way that they hold all those facts. Here it comes. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. How foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I had a problem with Jesus as I was studying for this sermon. I was like, Jesus, I don't think you did that right, which is... Hilarious. Um, so I knew that probably I was wrong and he might have been right. So this is where the English language fails us. So I don't speak Greek, which is what the book of Luke would have been written in. And so I jumped onto um, Logos, which is the place that I researched to preach from. And uh, when I clicked on the word fools or foolish, it said, which is Greek for unsuspecting. It sounded a little more elven than Greek. But the point is, I don't speak either, and so I can make it up, and you don't speak either either, so it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. Here's the point. Foolish actually means unsuspecting. So when Jesus looks at these guys who know all the biblical facts, he says, you're unsuspecting about what these would reveal. Because when you went to the tomb, when Mary saw it, when Peter and John ran to the tomb and it wasn't there, the angels were, that wasn't enough to believe everything that had been written in the prophets and Moses. That's what we have to look at this morning. Um, Jesus grew up Jewish. And so the Old Testament was what he turned to to reveal himself to these disciples on the road, okay? And so what Jesus cares most about for these guys is not the volume of knowledge that these, that these guys have, because Cleopas's testimony is big. He says every single statement. What he cares about is the belief that comes from that volume, from those facts. This is the storyline for you and I. We all have differing levels of Bible knowledge here. And, and guys, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't care how much 
you know. He cares about what you believe about what you know. He doesn't care how much you know. He cares about what you believe about the portion you have. So look into the Old Testament. Let me give you a foundation of the Bible that Jesus opened up to these guys. Then I want to show you how Jesus believed the Bible for himself. And we'll look to apply that to us. Here it is. The Old Testament is divided into three main chunks, not like with walls, but in categories of writings. The first category is the law. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. And the law was written or dictated by Moses. So as you read the scripture for yourself, whenever you see the law or Moses, or whenever you hear somebody talk about the Torah, it's all talking about the same thing. It's the story of how God chose his people and then the rules, the laws that he gave them so they knew he was his, they were his people, okay? First five books are the story of how God chose them and then the rules, so how those people knew they were God's own. Second chunk is the prophets. And the prophets were the commentary on how the people kept the law. And so you've got prophets that write about, yo, this is awesome. You guys are doing great. Keep it up. You have the majority of the prophets who are coming to say, yo, you're doing it wrong. You need to change your ways. Here's the kicker. He, the prophets often didn't talk about you, the nation. They often talked about me, the leader. And that's one where whenever I'm reading the Bible for myself, if you're in a place of leadership, the prophets are for you to look at your heart, to say, are you keeping, not the laws, this cumbersome thing, but the, the reality that you know who you are. See, the law in our world, as we say laws, we think straight jackets. I can only do these things in a robot style. In reality, go to our Psalms, please, Jace. This is the way that the Old Testament Jewish folks saw the law. They say, it's perfect. It revives my soul. The Lord's decrees are sure. They make wise the simple. For those of us who feel simple or not very smart, man, as I, as I know God's word, it makes me wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. That means the foundations of it are straightforward. They rejoice my heart. The commandments are clear. They help me. See, this is not an ironic passage to pick for this morning because the guys walking alongside Jesus on the road to Emmaus don't see him. And Jesus says, it's not the knowledge that you have of this thing. It's the belief that you're attaching to it. Everybody tracking? There's a third group of writings within your Old Testament. And that's <laughs> cleverly called the writings. And it's uh, Proverbs uh, Ecclesiastes, Job, it's the book of Psalms, what we're just coming from. Guys, when we take the, the, the law, the prophets, and the writings, and we put them all together, Jesus saw this as a gift from his Father. Like that cohesive Old Testament, as we see it, is an absolute gift that structures the way I live and know I'm God's. So, <coughs> excuse me, Luke 24, 27 Beginning with Moses, the law, and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, explaining himself. So Jesus goes to the Old Testament, opens it up and says, Cleopas and friends, check it out. All of this is talking about 
me. Okay, so let's look really quickly about how all about me played out in Jesus' life. Because he's human, and so there's elements here that we're definitely going to be able to put into our own life. First of all, Jesus studied the Old Testament. For us, we'll just, we're going to say Old Testament because that's where Jesus studied nonstop. For us, that means Bible, modern day, because Old Testament, or New Testament wasn't written quite yet, right? Shocker. Okay, because it was about Jesus. Okay, you got me. Jeremiah's track. All right, so here we are. So first off, Jesus studied the Old Testament. He studied the scriptures. In Luke chapter two, Jesus is a boy. He plays hooky from his parents for three days. How many of you have done that? <laughs> no one of us, right? But he did. Where did his parents find him? In the temple, exactly, sitting at the feet of the, of the teachers of the law. What was he doing? Was he a... Uh, uh, Bible bowling them and being like, okay, 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 here's a question for you <laughs> about me in the Old Testament. No, he wasn't doing that. If you read Luke chapter two, it says this. He says he was sitting at the feet, listening and asking questions. He did it for three days straight. When his parents come back in to the temple, they're like, come on, JC. And he's like, guys, 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 guys. Didn't you think I'd be at my father's house? He was learning nonstop from the Old Testament. Fast forward that because then he has to use that scripture uh, knowledge that he's learning. In two chapters forward, Luke chapter four, we get the temptation of Jesus. You might've heard of this. This is where Satan face-to-face, full-on frontal attacks. Jesus takes him out in the wilderness. And what do you hear Jesus say three times in response to three temptations? It is written, it is written, it is written. The word of God that Jesus spent years studying was all he needed to resist temptation. He didn't need to call on angels. He didn't need to pray functionally as we think about it. He didn't like, hold that one, right? He didn't do that to to Satan. He looked Satan dead in the eye and said, it is written. It is written. The word of God was completely sufficient for Jesus to answer temptations to. That's because he trusted it. Jesus trusted the Old Testament. He was learning constantly from it. So one Bible stat per sermon is all I'm gonna give us because I don't want our non-mathematician brains to explode. So this week's mathematician stat is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that tell the story of Jesus. He says, I tell you the truth. 75 times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four books tell the story of Jesus. 75 times he says, I'm telling you the truth. And I get to work with college kids where truth is an incredibly relative, relative thing. What's true for you is not true for me necessarily, right? Have you heard that or been confronted with that? Well, that's true for you, Josh, but that's not my truth. That's not my reality. When Jesus gets confronted with that idea of truth, he says, I'm only saying what the Father taught me. That's my hope as a pastor with some of these guys that sit vicariously around the room here. What I want them to do is be able to take anything I say at any moment and put it up against Scripture. I want to be accountable to the words of God and not need to add anything else to it. Now, obviously, I have a ton of fun while I do that, but my heartbeat is the same as Christ, where I can say, I tell you the truth. Look for it for yourself. That's what we hear Jesus say over 
and over and over. And the beginning here of how Jesus believes and uses the word of God is that he submits to it. He submits to it. He says, he says this is written and I must do such things. On the road to Emmaus, you remember it. He said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? What was he suffering? Do you all remember? Right? So that he could enter his glory. Now, this is kind of important where hopefully you're tracking with the whole sermon because in Luke chapter four, we got this temptation, this full-on frontal attack. And in that place, the Satan, Satan offered Jesus a pathway around the cross. He offered Jesus a kingdom. He offered him power. He offered him sustenance. He offered him everything that Jesus' kingdom was providing. But, G, but Satan was saying, hey, Jesus, you can have all that and bypass the cross. And here in Luke 24, what we see is the Messiah must suffer these things and then enter his glory. Jesus submitted, he submitted to the word of God. The story that was being told in here that he knew, that he studied, that he found, he also applied it to his life unwaveringly. That's the storyline that we see here in scripture. Finish out Luke 24 with me, 28. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Still playing hard to get, I love it. They urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked on the road and opened the scriptures? I'm gonna make a... a, a I'm gonna lay out an idea here that, that the eyes not being opened had more to do with belief in that Jesus could have really been walking with them than the fact that all the facts pointed towards he could really be walking with me right now. And it was only at the point where Jesus took the bread and broke it, which is our invitation weekly to communion where we pick up the bread and we, and we remind each other of this storyline that Jesus could have totally done an end around on the cross. He could have totally bypassed that at the very beginning of his ministry and said, I don't need to do that. The second thing I open our eyes to is, is that whenever Jesus held the scriptures, so there was this physical breaking of the bread that they went, wait a tick, that's important. And then when he opened the scriptures and he began to lay out for those, those followers, let me show you myself. There was a second opening and that was a transformation. So this is a story called the walk to Emmaus or, or the Emmaus road. 
And in southern Indiana and across the United States, there is the Emmaus Walk, or the college version called Crystalis. Am I right, Bradley? No, I'm not right. It's called Chrysalis, but I make fun of it and make the symbol. Anywho, if you've been on a Chrysalis or an Emmaus Walk, could you raise your hand for me really quickly? The whole idea, good, thank you. The whole idea of the Emmaus Walk and the Chrysalis is it is a transformative moment. It's a transformative moment where your heart gets hopefully turned inside out, where the eyes are opened to something brand new that God is willing to do in your life. And so if you've never heard of the Emmaus Walk, you now have the background for it. Any one of those people who raise a hand would love to tell you more about it. There's two weekends that are upcoming where they, um, for women, it is, I'm sorry, let me go men first. For men first, it's March 30th, so within the span of a few weeks. And then the women's is April 6th. There's an Emmaus walk available for the men and the women upcoming. And anyone that had their hand up there around the room, if you're interested, they would love to ask you to pray about it because they've asked me six times this morning to pray about going as well, which is awesome. What I want to invite you to do is to come to communion. I want to transition here to where I want you to, uh, to, ch- to prepare your heart and then to experience the same thing that these men did when Jesus took the bread and he, and he broke it apart and gave thanks. He was saying, remember the story of me moving to the cross for you, okay? Uh, if this is new conversation, I'm gonna hang out by the prayer room. I'd love to talk to you about it and uh, hear your story.